afternoon you are tuned to XL Radio with Baby Zan here for another hour of tunes and conversation. For those who are tuning in for the first time, first of all welcome. XL Radio is a weekly podcast celebrating diversity in music, bringing you stories of musical practice and cultural heritage from artists across the world. The aim of the podcast each week is an attempt to diversify representation in music and increase airtime for artists from all reaches of the world. 
So each week we are asking for guest artists to share musical selections that hold personal importance and share their own stories of genre and experience influencing their musical practice. Each episode will be coming out on Sunday on Spotify and podcasting channels. This week, I am very excited to invite Shasha Rafi on for a guest curation and interview. Shasha Rafi has selected all the tracks for today, and my god, are there many gold nuggets to talk about. The first song that you heard, Ed Hark, was put out by Hanan on the album Testahal in 1992. Hanan was an Egyptian pop singer from the 70s, and she was well known for blending a lot of Arabic sounds with modern flamenco. And a lot of the songs on this album, Testahal, are an example of a dance pop genre that emerged in Egypt around the 70s called Algeel. This was a genre that took a lot of influences from pop music around the world, as well as using rhythms mostly heard in reggae. Alongside those two influences, Algeel is often known for the use of a drum machine laid on top with a lot of traditional Arabic instrumentation. Also worth noting that Algeel was kind of made as a genre answer to an earlier musical movement in Egypt called Shahabi. Shahabi we'll be talking about later in the show, so keep your ears peeled for that one. It's really complicated. Um, I spent 45 minutes battling with it before. <laughs> okay, I think I got it. Okay, cool. Sweet. <laughs> Hi, this is DJ Shah Sharafi. I'm a DJ from Melbourne and I also uh, produce my own music um, that I like to call Arabian Disco. I was lucky enough to bump into Shah Sharafi at M Pavilion over the summer noting her excellent taste in music. We're going to be talking today about how her path as a DJ and music producer in Melbourne began. Um, It originally started as just I made all my own music. I got asked to play um, a launch for Time for Dreams a couple years ago and the band that I was going to play in kind of collapsed right before the show, so I decided to um, make... Some, some of my own music and kind of make a bit of a persona to go along with it to a little bit to distract from the you know maybe shonkiness of the the music I was making and also just kind of like to experiment with new ideas and kind of like bring a little bit of like avant-garde meets my Middle Eastern roots kind of thing um and then the DJ came later uh as I kind of discovered more and more uh, rock music and disco music from kind of like non-Western places. And I I really wanted to get that out there. And I tried to play uh, like DJ at some punk shows and kind of just like show people that, yeah, there's some rock and there's some like, you know, heavier psych stuff that, comes from these different contexts that people might not be aware of so it kind of the dj thing is almost like supplementary you know yeah it's kind of like i'm trying to build like a whole like little world i guess yeah i really like that it's kind of yeah it's a whole universe of music and context totally and it like it it fits different uses you know like um i obviously can't really like perform everywhere or it's not like, you know, it doesn't really work in certain contexts, but, you know, sometimes I can put my DJ hat or my producer hat on and it, it, it works, yeah. And the music that you make, does it, so does it have a lot of punk elements in it? It's punk to me and, like, I mean, it doesn't sound like punk music, do you know what I mean? But it, it's kind of, like, the most punk thing I could think of because it's so... 
different to what everyone else is kind of doing or was doing when I started. Um, so it sounds like, yeah, I describe it as Arabian disco. It kind of has like a little bit of a chopped and screwed kind of almost hip hop influence as well. Um, but to me, it's like punk music because it's just so different, especially when it has, I perform in a niqab and I, um, like incense and I like have a lot of like traditional kind of elements to the show and like putting that in kind of like an Australian pub venue context to me that is punk you know yeah cool so it's also an element of being culturally punk instead of musically punk totally punk in that like I don't really know what I'm doing like I'm self-taught <laughs> and like it's maybe you know it's not like a it's not a polished and it's mm. kind of like got that raw aesthetic from punk as well but it doesn't you know it's, it doesn't sound like punk music or what you would traditionally think the punk, punk band or punk performance sounds like yeah and i know that middle eastern rock um is that something that's influenced you as well um, or would you say your listening is more uh, disco based? It's more disco based. It started like it's kind of from. I wanted it to be really stripped back, so I was really inspired by um, comps like the Saharan synthesizer comp and stuff like that, with just like really simple keys and kind of like these Casio tones um, that are like really repetitive, and that's kind of where I first found my influences from and then I kind of found more um more kind of like elaborate disco and stuff the the psych and the rock features like quite a lot when I DJ but it's not really how I um how I sound musically yeah and is this all a one person job or do you ever collaborate with people no, it's it's all one person at the moment. I've had um, a lot of friends come and help me because, yeah, I'm totally self-taught and I think the first time I wrote a bunch of the songs was like a week before my first show. So my friend Chris came and showed me how to use Ableton and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't collaborated with anybody yet. I, I really want to. Um, my whole intention with the project was trying, like, I, I always wanted to get more and more people to kind of join in on it. Unfortunately, I don't really have very many like Arabic friends and and I'd really like to like collaborate with other people of color from from Melbourne or from anywhere really. Yeah. Has how's your experience been in presenting music like this to an audience where yeah, is it a struggle to find other people to collaborate? Or do you find that you've found more and more people over the years as you've been making music? Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've found more and more people as I've made it. It's kind of like I thought I was the only one doing it for a while and then I kind of realised that there's this, this whole kind of scene that's going on. Um, I met Baba Noir mm. and they're a... DJ in Melbourne they're from Turkey and they play like just the most incredible stuff he really has like one of the best collections around it's like almost intimidating I'm like oh gosh um so that's been really good I that's probably been like one of the best things through the project is just like yeah meeting other people from similar backgrounds or people just with like similar interests in this kind of stuff it's been really great This is one of Shah Sharafi's own numbers. The track is called Things to Learn. Oh, oh, oh. 
Were your parents born or were you born? So my dad was born in Egypt and my mum is Greek-Australian. Yeah. And I was born in Australia too. So I guess I'm first and also second generation. <laughs> and would you say that growing up you had influences from Egypt and Greece in your musical taste? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely listened to... A, like a lot of Arabic music just like in the car and stuff and like I don't think I really thought much of it at the time but I really think that it did inform a, a lot of my musical tastes later on like almost subconsciously I, I was listening to a bunch of um, Egyptian composers when I was making this playlist and one of them is this guy Omar Khorshid and like love Omar Khorshid yeah and Mm. I I just listened to that and so so like I've always been such a big surf fan and I love like kind of like spaghetti western sounding music and then when I was listening to all this stuff recently I was like I wonder if that is like informed by my you know background in kind of Arabic music because so much of it has like you know Arabic scales and or even same with like Greek scales and, and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm not really sure <laughs> if it's true or not, but I, I think it did kind of inform my love of certain kinds of music. And I didn't even realize they're like, you know, referencing Arabic scales and non Western scales until recently. Yeah. I find personally, I only recently learned um, Arabic scales in the piano a few months ago. And then after learning it, was I able to kind of identify it in so many other genres of music and kind of be like, oh, I think they're definitely referencing the Arabic scale, which I think comes from also, yeah, learning the music when you produce stuff. Yeah, totally. You start to get the, like, the references that other people are using and kind of following that tangent and that tale back to its original source is really interesting. Yeah, (laughs) it's like a huge musical in-joke. Yeah. It's just a very classic music nerd thing of being like, oh, that's what they're doing this whole time. I'm 
This song, Alesh, was put out by Delton in Tunisia in 1973. Apparently this band started off a lot by doing a lot of American soul and funk covers and gigging almost every night at a little beach hotel called the Sahara Beach Resort on the Tunisian coastline. They did this for about six months in the 70s and played every single night of the tourist season, eventually amassing enough money so they could fly to Rome and record this being one of their only seven-inch single releases. The band dismantled in the 70s and then funnily enough they actually regrouped together under the name of Carthago and put out this same song as kind of of a cover of their own cover and it does sound quite different. We're now going to go to a track called A Wendy by Ahmed Fakun. Ahmed was born in Libya and is really famous for combining influences of both Europop and French art rock. Alongside being able to play almost every instrument you could possibly think of, he's also a really good example of a genre of music called Rai, which is a form of Algerian folk music that started around the 20s. A lot of the lyrics for the Rai genre started as being very socially orientated and actually being a kind of post-colonial discourse about the presence of European colonies that had affected the populations. Though now, after almost a century, the genre has definitely branched out in its lyrical content. So making music is so funny because it's like one of those things where like, you know, you, you try to make people interested for a long time and I kind of gave up on it. Like nobody really seemed to like what I was doing when I started doing it. I, I guess it was quite strange for the places that I was playing musicians that I was playing with it, it didn't really fit into like a scene or anything you know and then kind of as I've tried to stop playing live so much people have um, become more and more interested and try to get me to write some more music it sounds like Melbourne uh, wasn't ready for you <laughs> yeah I also I, I didn't try very hard <laughs> like, 
I never booked any of my own shows and never practiced or did anything, you know. So Yeah, but babe, it's <laughs> punk. You can't. It's part of being a exactly, punk musician. Right? <laughs> Would you say music had a big part in growing up or that the music that informed you was kind of just background music that your parents would play I mean it's kind of both so like it was always on in the background particularly like yeah Greek and Arabic music and then also I grew up around quite a strong um West African community so I kind of got all of these different influences very early on but then I guess as you do I really rejected them in a lot of ways because I was like you know a little preteen you don't want to be into what your parents are into so I kind of fully rejected a lot of that stuff and went down this kind of more um yeah punk path I guess and then I've only kind of started I mean you know in the last five ten years or something going back to that and and exploring it more and I think that came from just being fully blown away that um you know, these kind of rock elements exist in other places and you don't learn about that when you're younger or even, like, nobody tells you that, hey, rock music isn't a Western thing. It exists everywhere and it's existed, you know, almost concurrently across the world in all these different incredible scenes and it takes you a long time to find these things, I think. Yeah, definitely. You definitely have to search a lot harder than if something is westernized and I think every internet source will throw it at you. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, even, you know, finding information about Arabic songs or non-Western songs is difficult because, you know, the internet is predominantly made in English. Um, And there's like almost like a myth, like there's like a myth of like, yeah, like Western rock being like, is like the canon of of rock music and the foundation of rock music when actually, you know, it's pulled from all these different sources and it exists in all these different places. Yeah. And I find also the reverse in um, people finding like a really great Middle Eastern psych rock musician and then being like, oh, he's the Jimi Hendrix of the East and having to yeah. validate them by relating them back to another Western musician instead of letting them stand up on their own. Totally, totally. Because, like, Arabic music so inaccessible in so many ways or um, a lot of this music is so inaccessible in a lot of ways. Uh, like, I, I, I know we've both probably longfully looked at some seven inches that probably costs around $2,000 for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's Absolutely. so hard to get this stuff in, in like a physical format. I went record shopping in Egypt last year and I went to every single record store in or all of Egypt, which was like seven, there's seven record stores in Egypt. Oh my and, God. Uh, yeah, Habibi Funk had already cleaned them all out. Like <laughs> True. What was yeah. um, quickly the music scene like in Egypt when you were there? Yeah, I, I couldn't find anything. It's so – I hope it's deep underground somewhere and doesn't just not exist anymore. Um, yeah, I had to, like, beg my family to be like, can you take me to a music store or, like, an instrument store? And they're like, oh, there is none. And all the record stores that I went to were kind of, like, you know, probably more akin to junk shops, record stores. And – uh yeah, it was really, it was quite sad and disappointing, actually. I couldn't really, um, for all my trying, tap into the scene that's going on in there, but yeah. hopefully one day. <laughs> yeah, or maybe they're just in a different stage that kind of precludes vinyl and physical stores at the moment, we totally. hope. There's a big kind of DJ EDM vibe. So, like, the first time I went there, I got to see some traditional um musicians perform at at weddings and stuff and that was really incredible and then when I went back last year they had all kind of been replaced by DJs and stuff like that and so it feels like the yeah the whole industry is kind of like shifting and changing and I hope it's for the better and not just you know kind of becoming more kind of westernized I guess for lack of a better does kind of on the surface level appear to be kind of becoming a bit more homogenous 
Yeah, that kind of is a bit bittersweet in that they're making all this stuff famous and then kind of just cleaning out all of the record stores in Egypt so that no one there has much to go off anymore. I know, but I can't be too mad because he did what I wanted to do, which is go and buy all their records. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess, like, you can look at it kind of, yeah, two ways of, like, it's amazing that he's preserving these things that may have literally been just thrown out had he not gone and bought them and, and, and he's making them accessible to people. But it is, yeah, also a bummer where it's like, yeah, there's no more records there anymore. He's got all of them. So. Yeah, at the expense of the locals. But, yeah, I think, yeah, he has excellent intentions, I'm sure. You know, I have to really, you know, big ups to Habibi Funk for, you know, even inspiring me to, like, find this music and Huge thank you to Shah Sharafi for that chat and for coming onto the show and for curating this incredible playlist that we're now going to dip into a little bit more. There will be links in the show description for where you can access Shah Sharafi's music and Instagram. This track is Gold Elfen by A. Misleyen, a traditional Kabla singer with Algerian roots who practiced his music a lot in Paris. This was one of those classic 12 inches that got put out in a very small number and has been highly sought after in France ever since it popped out. This one definitely goes on Discogs for a thousand dollars. Expensive listening. I'm 
سخن في المخنوم أم سنين غفر وساع يا بنت ورخن الوالدين هانسيني الفرورخن to now dive into some psychedelic Saharan rock, which we visited a lot in the Mali episode a few weeks back. Very pleased that it's making a resurface. This one is by Bibi Ahmed and it's called Libya Swara, an example of music by the Tuareg people again. If you want to know more about the Tuareg blues, feel free to listen back to the Mali episode. Thank you. 
for a splash of surf rock. This one is called Popcorn by Omar Korshid. And we heard this nugget of the Lebanon episode. <laughs> a lot of beautiful cross-referencing happening this week.
called Sali was put out by Rakum and produced by Rashid in the 1980s. Rashid being an Algerian singer and activist based in France. Both these artists are another example of Rai music. And I wanted to take this moment to quickly touch back on the genre we mentioned before, Shahabi, which evolved from Baladi, which we heard from in the Lebanon episode. And then this genre was used as kind of a stepping stone to move to the Algier genre, which we heard from at the start of the show, which just creates this really beautiful picture of all these different genres that kind of built the foundation for the next genre to come, each having a very different foundation. Shahabi translates to Of the People and was a very urban music genre in the 70s, often intensely political and because of its nature as street music was was mostly distributed on pirated tapes and CDs, making it a very underground genre. Rashid in particular started his musical career by working in a textile factory during the day and then playing at DJ clubs during the night, spinning Arabic music, rap, salsa and funk. Apparently he would do some really insane mashups of Arabian pop classics over Led Zeppelin, Bo Diddley and Kraftwerk. Eski dostlarım şimdi nerelerdedir? Sonra sonra ne hal oldum bulamadım ki. Umut bakirin ekmeği aşı yoldaşı hastanasının gelmez ilacı. And to finish the show, the last track, Shasharafi, selected is Zutu, put out in 1976, by Esin Afsa. Afsa was both a Turkish singer and actress who started her musical trajectory by being a pianist for the Turkish State Opera. She then spent some time doing stage work and then moved to music performance both in French and Italian. Big thank you again for Shasha Rafi for this curation and interview. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. We'll be back next week for another episode. My name is Zan Coppinger, and you have been listening to XL Radio.